welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. This will be an epic episode. It's the crossover episode. And you like the X-Files cops crossover. Everyone's got a favorite crossover episode. I got I got Daniel Yang and Michael Crawford with me to do introductions in just a moment. Before that, we got to say, what's your favorite crossover episode, Daniel Yang? All right, 1987, Jetsons meet the Flintstones. That was amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> All right. So what about you, Michael Crawford? Justice League. Just in general. Justice League meets future Justice League. Justice League cartoon, mm. for sure. Well done. Well done. <laughs> okay, well done. And, of course, there's so many. I feel like you left out. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers, ah, sure. truly a great classic. Ah, yeah. um, there are others. So, so we're doing a crossover episode right here. And welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders slash New Churches slash Stetzer Church Leaders slash New Churches. I'm not sure which is first. Yeah. Podcast. And we are uh, recording this, and this we're putting it online with video. And we're placing it both in the New Churches podcast stream, so welcome to New Churches listeners, and in the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast stream, welcome listeners there as well. And today we're going to change the name because we're talking about your book. It's the it's the Yang Church Leaders podcast. Wow! For, for today. one day, for today, all right, for today. I'll take I take what you're going to take what you can get. So Daniel Yang has a new book out, um, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Now Michael Crawford is new to the Stetzer Church Leaders audience. Michael Crawford. He uh, grew up in L.A., uh, was, uh, went to Master's Seminary, uh, went to Baltimore, planted Freedom Church, now leads church planning for the Maryland-Delaware Send Network. Um, and for those on the, well, they know you on the Central Church Leaders Podcast. They I might not know you so. on the New Churches Podcast. Right. So Daniel Yang leads here the Church Multiplication Institute at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. So very excited, but let's, there's more. So, But it's a think tank for evangelism church planning. Uh, he's actually pastored and helped plant churches in Detroit, Dallas, Fort Worth, Toronto, and Chicago. Um, and a fun fact, work with Bob Roberts. We, right. we love Bob Roberts on both podcasts. Earned an MDiv, Southwestern, BS in Computer Science, University of Michigan. Currently earning a PhD at mm-hmm. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he's got a book. He's got oh, a book. Got book. And it's it's co-authored with three authors. Yep. I know two of you. I don't know that I know Eric. Yeah, Eric's Do- a... Pastor out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know him, but Eric Costanzo, am I saying that right? Costanzo. Right. Matthew Sorens, who's got lots of connections here at Wheaton College. And the book is Inalienable, How Marginalized Kingdom Voices Can Save the American Church. So here we are, crossover episode, Michael and I over at uh, New Churches, and Daniel and I already here at Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, the Yang Church Leaders Podcast. My apologies. All right. Let's start with the conclusion of your book. You write... And books just out. People can pick up the book right now. If anything other than the kingdom of God is the framework for Christianity in America, let's be okay with God removing it, and let's pray with Jesus for his kingdom to come. Now, I think five years ago you said that, nobody would find—I bet that's going to be a controversial sentence now in Mm -hmm. the world in which we live because everyone's so on edge. But what are you guys seeing about American Christianity that led to that statement and to writing this book? Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to say it's easier to be on the other side of the microphone asking questions it than is. it is to be on this, this side. This is the, of the first time like you're like on the podcast, yeah. Questions, yeah. So, so when uh Eric, uh, Matt and I were thinking through this book, a lot of it came from our own stories. Uh, you know, Matt actually would say that for him it was very confusing for his line of work as a mobilizer for uh world relief to see the lack of interest 
in uh, refugee resettlement over the last few years from evangelicals who historically have been some of the greatest proponents for refugee resettlement. Uh, and so I think a part of what we were seeing is some of the things that we talk about on the Church Leaders podcast is the cultural shifts and the polarity that we're seeing in uh, American Christianity, but specifically in evangelicalism. And then also just the, um, the conflation between American evangelicalism and uh, American nationalism. And I think that that's been something that has not been always easy to nuance and discern. But I think we've seen, at least over the last few years, you know, I mean, so the, the instance of January 6th and what someone might re refer to as the insurrection, like those kinds of things were um, symptoms of what I think has been underneath the surface. And we asked the question, if those are some things that evangelicals and American Christians can identify with, then what's really at the foundation or the framework of what we call American Christianity? So that, that really is the, um, the motivation behind why we started asking the question, then what kinds of voices should be influencing the church uh, here in America? Because we, uh, you know, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into scandals of, uh, you know, mega church pastors and evangelical leaders, but those just tend to pile on and almost, to some people, prove a thesis that they have already, that American Christianity is sick. I wouldn't say it that way, but I think in some ways it just proves uh, their point oftentimes. Your, your premise is that marginalized voices are helping to save the, the American church. So... Who are who are those voices? What are those voices? What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> when we uh, when we were talking through uh, not just what's wrong with Christianity in America, but we were talking through like what are um, the places and the people and the kinds of people that don't get the same amount of airtime that I think typically you would see in American evangelical circles specifically. And uh, we started uh, asking the question, you know, uh, how does the global church actually have influence here in the U.S.? And uh, one of the things that uh, I write about, you and I, we actually talk about this quite a bit, is the growth of uh, the Latino American church here in the United States. So case in point, uh, one of the very few denominations that have been growing, uh, you know, year after year here in the United States is the Assemblies of God. I think they've grown year after year for 30 years consistently. Other denominations uh, have, you know, either suddenly declined or, you know, uh, or some have, you know, uh, dropped off. And if you study, if you study what happened to the Assemblies of God in America, uh, 20 years ago, there were 1.8 million white members in a, uh, in a denomination. Um, fast forward, you know, uh, 20 years from now, uh, the denomination has grown quite significantly. The number of white members in the Assemblies of God Church is 1.8 million uh, people. And so the growth almost has been completely non-white growth in the um, uh, Assemblies of God. And so, I mean, statistically, what that means is that, like, if it wasn't for immigrant churches and, um, and uh, non-white uh, uh, members, then the Summons God would join other denominations and see in some gradual plateauing or decline. We know the evangelical church isn't, isn't declining the same way that the mainline church is declining. And so you got to ask the question, that, so what is it about uh, immigrants in the Latino American church in particular that is helpful? So one of the authors that we quote uh, uh, quite extensively is Robert Chow Romero, who writes in the Brown Church that some of the issues that we're still uh, fighting over here in American evangelical churches, the Brown Church, he would call it the Brown Church, the Latin American Church, 
they've settled some of those issues 500 years ago mm-hmm. when they uh, uh, were coming into their own as a church in Latin America. And so um, uh, I think of Ken Ganakin, who started Axe Group. Uh, Axe Group is a holistic missions. Ken is Indian. He actually just recently passed away. He was an engineer and environmentalist, and he uh, was looking at the slums in India and the environmental factors that lead to the slums. And he said, my mission organization is going to be based on evangelism, creation theology, and how do we help um, the people of the slums have a better understanding of who Jesus is, but also what does that mean for their surroundings around them? And so I think these are much more integrated ways to think about the gospel holistic uh, that here in America, at least we've been talking about, but we have such a difficult time actually living out a true holistic gospel. So some of, some of the voices like okay, that. Okay, fascinating. So uh, again, the book is called Inalienable, How Marginalized Kingdom Voices Can Save the American Church. Uh, inalienable, why, why that title, why that name? Yeah, so that comes from the uh, Declaration of uh, Independence, right? And so yeah, it's us being a little bit provocative there. No. Right. But uh, the idea is that, uh, you know, so in the De- Declaration of Independence, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, which I think are great values. Um, you know, I, I was in Canada. We'll talk about that also. Uh, but theirs was peace, order, and good government. It's true. So a little bit different. Um, so inalienable uh, really uh, harkens to what are the things that are most intrinsic to the church? And that's really what we're talking about. What are the things that you just can't take away with the irreducible minimums? And so it's the kingdom of God, the word of God, the image of God, the mission of God. And these are the four things that we're really drilling into. And we're saying that the global church, uh, marginal voices are helping us to better understand uh, kingdom of God, vo- uh, image of God, word of God, and mission of God. And so uh, that's, that's what we're saying. These, these four things are inalienable to Christianity. So tell us a little bit of about your personal background. You mentioned something about Canada, and yeah. how did that influence the writing of the book? Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, so first of all, my, my parents uh, are, are from Laos, and uh, so ethnically I'm Hmong. Um, my dad is the first person to ever become a Christian in the lineage of our history. So we talk about the decline of the church in the West. Like, for my family's story, it's always been inclined. So mm. decline doesn't make <laughs> sense. It's always been on the up and up. And so they came as uh, refugees, uh, immigrants uh, from Laos. There was a war in Vietnam, uh, and then there was a simultaneous war being fought in Laos. Later, Clinton would declassify the documents, and it would be labeled the secret war in Laos. And so my parents, uh, you know, so I joke in the book, I was conceived in a refugee Thailand camp, but I was... You say that all the time, and I don't like it. It's like, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Born in the cornfields of Illinois. So from uh, Laos, Laos conceived to to your term, yeah. And uh, so, and then born here in Illinois and uh, had the refugee immigrant experience. Yeah. Um, moved to Detroit, inner city Detroit, when I was nine. And so you got to think about like being a refugee immigrant now being, uh, you know, dropped in inner city Detroit, predominantly African-American neighborhood where I spent all of my grade school years. So, um, and a big part of that was not um, uh, me just like uh, living out like among identity, but it was struggling to find what does being American mean to me. And uh, we were new Christians as a family. And then it was also a struggle to, my dad was 41 when he became a Christian. So what does it also mean to be a, a, a first generation believer of Jesus that is learning to be American as well? And so some of the narratives that I've learned as an American aren't like intrinsic to my heritage, right? So I, I don't always understand the idea like there are less and less people going to church than there were before because 
you know, we're only one generation into knowing Jesus. And so um, I think for me, I've had to learn a lot about like the American narrative and the way that we think about mission and church. And I've learned that conversation. But now I'm, I'm realizing that given my background, I'm having to reflect back to the American church, some of the things that I've learned. And it's kind of like a mirror being held up. And it's kind of like, there's some great things about it, but there's probably some things about it that uh, could change. And so that's really intrinsic to uh, at least my perspective when I'm writing the book is what does my immigrant background have to do with how American Christianity is changing? The book is inalienable. We're talking to Daniel Yang on this crossover episode. New churches, listeners, Setra Church Leader, uh, Yang Church Leaders podcast listeners. We're glad you're here as well. So a lot of books come out lately attempting to diagnose some of the problems. We could list them. There's a whole bunch. Uh, I find some of them helpful. Um, but you're in the book, you guys aren't just trying to address or diagnose a problem. You're actually trying to find a way forward. Why? What is that? What's that way forward? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we, uh, <clears throat> like you were saying, I appreciate a lot of the books that have come out that have pointed out some of the issues that I think uh, at least the three of us would agree on that there are some things happening in American Christianity that are concerning. Um, but what we wanted to do that maybe was slightly different was to not just uh, identify the issues, but to begin asking the question, like, how do we create a pathway forward for the next few years? And so part of that is coming back to, like, how are young people processing um, American Christianity and evangelicalism right now? And I don't have quantitative stats, but, you know, we do know at least from polls like you know, the Pew and from— Why do you uh, come on this show without a quantitative? You need some I stats. Should, You're going right. to come on this. This I is, this is, this is yeah. our friendship here on the line. But we do, we, okay. do, we do know from the pollsters that, you know, there are less young people affiliating with, yeah, no question. with, with American religion, yep. American uh, Christianity. And uh, so, um, uh, so these things are symptomatic, and we need to better understand them. And there are historians and sociologists writing about those things. You know, I you know I'm training as a missiologist. Uh, Matt works in advocacy. Eric is a pastor. His PhD is in the ancient church. So we started thinking, like, what is it about our fields that are going to be helpful in creating a pathway forward? Um, and so it came back to how do we understand, like. The church is not in a uh, an, uh, an unfamiliar place. There have been centuries before where the church struggled with its identity and its entanglement with politics, and so and so Eric brings a lot of expertise when it comes to understanding how the ancient church oh, worked nice. through some of these issues. Um, and, uh, you know, and so we also look at the global church. You know, part of that is my story as an immigrant coming here to the United States. Matt's work in advocacy. He does a lot of work in Africa and other places as well. What does the global church have to offer? You know, we're not saying the global church is perfect. We're not saying the church in Africa or in India or Latin America is perfect. But there's something about the churches around the world that hold up a mirror for American Christianity to see into it and reflect back to itself. So what we do is we actually engage some of these thought leaders. So uh, Kwame Bediako, who is a theologian, uh, missiologist out of Ghana, and he writes quite a bit about like uh, Western missions and that we're coming into a season, well, he's now passed, but when he was writing that Western uh, uh, Christianity is coming to a season where it needs to be re-evangelized, not in the sense that it needs to be, uh, it needs to, you know, receive salvation for the first time, but it needs to have a fresh encounter with the gospel very similar to what Leslie Newbegin said, you know, um, during his 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 um, his ministry, and so um, a, a part of what we're saying is like these are some uh, voices that we need to bring into our churches and not just into our institutions, but into Christian leadership. How do I allow the global church to actually impact me? How do I allow 
some of my immigrant neighbors to actually impact the way that I live out my faith? How do I allow uh, ancient voices uh, that have gone through similar things, but even more complex things, how have they paved the pathway for us? Yeah. Yeah. In in chapter nine of the book, uh, American Religion, The Great Commission, you talk a lot about your church planting experience in Toronto and the perspectives Mm -hmm. it gave you. particularly about American mission. So what are some of the things church leaders need to be cognizant of as they're engaging around the world? Yeah. Sometimes when Americans think about Canada, like, well, first of all, Americans don't think about Canada. Right, we don't. Your wife is Canadian. Wife Canadian. Three children. daughters are Canadian. Yep, right. Daughter lives in Toronto. So unless you're ahead. married to a Canadian. Yes. You, you, I like the Canadian uh, national anthem better than ours. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, you, you, got it. No, you got it. You got it. Um, so it's tempting for Americans to think about Canada as the 51st state. That's, you jokingly, sometimes people say that. And they love that in Canada when you say no, that. No, they don't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I, and I have to admit that when I moved to Canada uh, those early years, that I just thought it was, a, it was similar to the United States. And um, one, of the, one of the things that I write about is actually, um, you know, so we moved there as Americans other than like learning the metric system and those kinds of things, um, I thought that which you know, is so much better. It is. It is. Yeah. Someone's uh, gonna like flag that bar. Gonna end up on. A, we're endorsing the metric system. Communists. All right, guys. I, I, well, you know, it's funny because like you go around uh, like my doctor right now. They measure things in like uh, in, in centimeters and millimeters. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's it's creeping we're, in. We're getting this there. communist metric system is creeping in. But we, so we were three months on the ground and uh, in Toronto. Mind you, I grew up in Detroit, which is only four hours away, though. And um, so we do a vision cast tonight. So we parachuted in and uh, uh, script up enough people to do a vision night. There's about 30 people in a room. So we're casting this vision. And at the end of the evening, uh, one of the local um, uh, 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 members in the community came in. I think I think he came in for food, but, you know, that's 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 what the food is for. And so he was listening to my spiel. And then he came up to me afterwards and he said, "Um, hey, don't bring that American religion up Mm. here. And I wanted to explain myself to him that, hey, we're not bringing American religion, but there is a part of me that, at least in that moment, I began to realize that, okay, regardless of my motives, there is a perception of the kind of work that I'm doing here that has already preceded me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that, like, I was wrong, but also I don't think it was he was wrong either. I think there are some layers that we needed to peel back. And we carry quite a bit of that, I think, as Americans um, into the work that we do. And so I think a big part of that is to uh, imagine, like, what is the posture that we have when we go to places around the world? Um, and this is not just a, like a white savior thing. Like, I think it is a, it's more of a national, it's an, an American thing. Me as an American, as an Asian American, I can possibly carry a posture into non-American spaces and, and almost be prescriptive about how to be a Christian, how to do religion, how to um, engage in society. And that's a framework that unless you step outside of it, you really don't get to see. So when I went to Toronto in 2011, 2012, and I would say in my mind, it was a very different Toronto, or it was a very different United States that I left than the one that I returned to in 2017. Part of it was the political climate. But I was able to see that, having lived in Canada, oh, interesting. there yeah. was a, an Americanness about me that I was blind to because I just grew up here. Fascinating. Okay. And, um, you know, we're 
when we talk about some of these things, right? Toronto, of course, the majority of people who live in the city of Toronto were born outside of the nation That's of right. Canada. Same thing in Vancouver. It's a very different cultural context. Mm -hmm. um, and one that I love. I work with Wycliffe College there uh, at the University of Toronto. But um, I, I guess the question is, these comments that you're making, first of all, I want to encourage people to get the book, Inalienable, How Marginalized Kingdom Voices Can Help Save the American Church. Not everyone's going to appreciate this because mm -hmm. there is a, a wedding, whether you want to affirm it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, of who we are in a unique way, other places around the world. Sure. I've been talking, I'm going to teach at Oxford this fall and, and I can almost feel them like prepping me and they're like, you know, but, but it's a little different here. Like they, 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 and I, I know that I'm a missiologist, so I, but I still receive it. Mm -hmm. Um, not every Christian in other countries weds this in the same way that we do. So there's a uniqueness to that, a challenge to that. And there's some things we can learn again, 10 years ago, this wouldn't be controversial to learn from the global church. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we've got to unlearn some things. That's harder. We've got to unlearn some things in American evangelicalism. So how can local church leaders get more practical about paying attention to the influence of the global church? I mean, that's a big theme and inalienable. How would they do that? Sure. Yeah. So one of our big goals in the book was to introduce readers to voices yeah. and other sources that they can follow up on. And so we even provide a naming index. I think there's 168 different people that we refer to in the book that we think, hey, these would be good, reliable sources for you to either re uh, read up on. But also... That you means know, you don't have to agree with everything they say, but they're, they're thoughtful writers and thinkers. That's correct. Right. And then also uh, in your local context, you know, and I, th I think this happens in some ways, but what I guess what I would say is that how do you become more intentional about... Um, how do you interact with the uh, immigrant congregations in your neighborhood? You know, I think that's a, that's one that I think we really have to ask ourselves. Like, um, I think we all want church unity, so there's no question around that. But are there condescending attitudes that sometimes we bring to our immigrant sisters and brothers of you know of the faith that I think we have to really grapple with? And uh, when I say we, again, me included, uh, even as a, a second gen immigrant here, like this is a question that I have to ask myself. I live in a neighborhood that's predominantly Hispanic, and so most of my neighbors are from uh, uh, Latin America. And so I have to constantly ask myself, like, how do they enrich me? How do I enrich them? And how do we work together for the betterment of our neighborhood? Um, how do I learn? How do they learn? Uh, but how do we not be condescending towards each other? And I think that's, a, that's an easy exercise that we do. But if you're a church leader specifically, and especially if you value multi-ethnicity and diversity, one of the big cha uh, challenges is that you're probably only as diverse as the people that come in, come in and out of your home. I think a lot of folks, they might pride themselves uh, on the diversity of the people that they put on stage, which again, that's to me, in some ways, if you want to be a multi-ethnic in diversity, that's probably at least a minimum. But if you want to maximize what it means to really have a diverse world, um, you have to ask, who's in and out of my home? And so what are the meaningful meals that I share with people? It doesn't mean that you have to have a different kind of culture in your house every single day. But it means that you have meaningful diversity around your dinner table, around the meals that you share from a day-to-day -day basis. Um, there's a term commensality, <clears throat> the people that you eat with and how that changes you. And I know that's a real thing. We understand that in a more collective societies, my, my you know, um, uh, being Hmong, meals are a really big part of the formation of social identity. Now, I would say that's not necessarily uh, not the case for Americans, but in some ways, uh, you know, meals are just a convenient thing you do, or it's something that you do with your family, your, your immediate family. But commensality, this idea that you eat with people and eating with people shapes who you are is a very big part of how the world thinks about community. 
And so I would really advocate for church leaders to find those who come from different parts of the world that are in their city and actually build those relationships at a real deep level. And then lastly is if you're engaged in a part of the world, let's say you pastor a church and you're engaged in um, a different part of the world, I think instead of thinking about how can we do more ministry over there, the question that, you know, and, and many people are asking this question is, what are, what's the effective ministry that's already happening there that we can come alongside and not direct, but also um, just you know, provide the right kinds of, of help in a way that doesn't detract from the local leadership there? Fascinating, fascinating. The book's inalienable, How Marginalized Kingdom Voices Can Help Save the American Church. This crossover episode, we've never done a crossover episode before, so thanks <laughs> thanks to Mike, thanks to Daniel for coming on the Yang Church Leaders Podcast. For one day. For one day. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. Yeah. Uh, and also for the New Churches Podcast, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, leave uh, a comment, like, share, uh, leave a comment to help people find these podcasts. There are two podcasts. I guess it's probably the first time you've ever been on two podcasts at the same time. Probably. I think yeah. it's pretty fun. Pretty yeah. cool. Thanks for joining us on this crossover episode. Think of it as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meet the Power Rangers. And thanks for listening. <laughs> you've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.